Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. So please welcome Heather Kamira with this week's sermon. Well, good morning. A shout out to all our dads and just want to say happy Father's Day. Yeah, <clears throat> want to welcome you here, especially if you're new or if you're joining us online. We're so grateful that you're with us this morning. As Bill said, we're in a series called So Now What? right now, and we're looking at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, and it's directly following after Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension. And last week, Vicki, if you were here, she spoke about outside opposition that came right after Peter and John had prayed for and healed a man at the temple. <clears throat> and I think it's really no surprise that here, right after Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came in power on the church and so many people came to know Jesus, that the enemy begins his counterattack. God is building his church and Satan here is trying to tear it down. He's trying to tear it down. So first we see that through that outside persecution from the Jewish officials. And then when that doesn't work, as we'll see today, the attack continues, but in a more subtle way from within the church. If there's one thing that Satan knows well, it's about what most hinders and detracts from the spread of the gospel of Jesus he knows one of the swiftest ways to hurt and undermine the church is through hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Even Jesus himself, you look at the Gospels, and he spoke really harshly about it in the Gospels, and for good reason. See, if you were to ask really anyone what their number one objection to Christianity is, most of them would say, because Christians are hypocrites. You know, they, they don't actually do the things that they profess to believe and, they, and what Christ taught. They're supposed to be people of love, right? But most of them are judgmental, nasty, and harsh. Or they are, they are preaching about sexual purity, but half of them are having extramarital affairs. Or they claim to be people of integrity, but they're cheating on their taxes or they're cooking the books. Yeah. Hypocrisy is simply this. Hypocrisy is pretending to be someone that you're not. It's pretending to be better than you are. And we're all guilty of that to some degree, right? We're all guilty of that. Hypocrisy is lying about yourself. It's wearing a mask. It's playing a game of deception with others. And we all know too many examples of people who have professed to be one thing only to be found out to be another. Just look at the headlines, right? You don't have to go very far to make this charge stick. The wake of hypocrisy is pretty devastating, and, the ta and it takes out not just one person, but it takes out all of those around them. One such story is actually from um, just 200 years ago. We're still seeing the effects of it today. The fallout has been pretty disastrous. There was a devout Jewish family in Germany and their lives revolved around their Jewish community and their faith and their customs. And then that family moved to another part of Germany. And one day, the father came home and announced, 
we are no longer Jewish, we are Lutheran. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it stirred some things up in their family. And so they no longer attended the Jewish synagogue, but they were baptized and they started attending the, Jewish, the, the Lutheran church. And, and the son in the family, he said, Father, why did we leave our Jewish faith? And the father replied, well, this part of Germany doesn't like to deal with Jews. And the only way for us to get along is to be Lutheran. And if I want to continue doing business here, then we need to attend the Lutheran church. And the son became pretty angry and bitter about this. He was angry at his father for just living a sham. And he was angry with the people of the church who were not accepting them because they were practitioners of another religion. Well, this young man left Germany and went to England and he spent years reading and studying, finally sat down and he penned his thoughts in a tract called The Communist Manifesto. He wrote, religion is just the opiate of the people. And that young man's name is Karl Marx. Millions of people who have read his work around the world have been persuaded to become atheists. See, hypocrisy can have widespread effects. And what we see here at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts is that the church is at the apex of its growth and its spread. And we see this striking example of hypocrisy within the church. And Luke is intentional to include, include this account of Ananias and Sapphira. This is one of those passages you will not hear preached very often. <laughs> it's not a fun one. But I am comforted with the fact that the Bible does not shy away from things that are uncomfortable and difficult. What I want to look at today is that hypocrisy can undermine the health and growth of the church in a couple ways. It can destroy our witness, it can destroy community, and it can destroy the message of the gospel. See, what we learn from this story is not only does God take integrity in his church very seriously, but God's swift and seemingly harsh judgment ultimately safeguards the church in this critical time of growth and expansion from a threat from the enemy within. Now, my hope today is, and what I've sensed as I've been praying and preparing for this talk, is that God does not want us to overestimate ourselves or underestimate the enemy. He wants us to put our hope in him, our hope in him. And as we dive into this topic of hypocrisy, my heart is not to discourage or condemn, because I need to hear this talk just as much as all of us do. He wants us to be aware of the enemy's agenda to discredit the church and discredit us. He wants to make us ineffective, and he wants to halt the spread of the good news of Jesus. God, though, he wants us to remember that freedom and impact that we can have if we live authentically for Christ. So let's pray before we dive into our juicy passage for today. <laughs> well, Holy Spirit, we do. We ask for your presence to just come meet us this morning. We pray kingdom come. And Lord, this isn't a topic we come to lightly, but I would pray that it would not be a heavy weight on anyone here in the name of Jesus. I pray shame, guilt be gone right now in the name of Jesus. 
And Lord, that it would be your sweetness, your kindness that would just invite us into a greater awareness and an invitation into greater authenticity. We do not want to be deceived people. We want to walk in your grace and your truth. Would you do that in us today? Would you teach us through your word? In the name of Jesus, we give you all the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pick back up in Acts today. We're going to start by looking at chapter 4, verse 32 and on to give us a little context for what's going on in the church, and then we're going to dive into our passage. It says in verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I want to start here today by looking at this. They had one heart and one mind. It's beautiful. There was evidence of great power, great care, and great grace. Great power, great care, and great grace. And actually, the word used here for great power is the root word for dynamite. (laughs) And because this was the real deal. I mean, lives were being changed. People were being healed. This was not manufactured. This was the manifest power of God on display in the church. And there was great care. We see the church was united, evidenced by the responsibility that they had for one another. They voluntarily gave, not because they were expected to or because of any program forcing them to. We're not talking about communism or socialism here. We are talking about them willingly choosing to share what they had to help provide for one another. That's the kind of generosity that is rooted in just trust in God as their provider. And there was great grace, right? The favor of God was on them. He was with them. His active presence was at work in everything they did, and it was seen by everyone. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? (laughs) Who wouldn't want to be a part of a church like that? This is why more and more people were added to their community daily. People saw that there was something fundamentally, radically, supernaturally different about this group of people. They weren't perfect people, but they were really good at loving and serving one another well. So here we see in our next passage that Satan is trying another strategy. He's tried to take them down through outside opposition. And if he can't do that, then he's going to try to dilute and destroy our effectiveness from within, and whether that's from within ourselves or within the church. And here we see Satan influences the hearts of two church members in attempts to sow hypocrisy into the church and hurt the church. Let's read our main passage today, starting in Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And then Peter said, Ananias, 
How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money that you receive for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward. They wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Mm. Now on first pass, (laughs) this looks pretty severe. I can't think of a more vivid warning against hypocrisy than this right here. But really, very few times in Scripture does someone actually fall down dead like this. Thank the Lord, right? Thank the Lord. This is not a common occurrence. And actually, this is the only one recorded in the New Testament. But why did this happen? And why here and why now? Well, many commentaries that you read on this text will tell you perhaps It's the severity of what happened here is because of the seriousness of the moment, this moment in the church's history. So let's look at these three areas of impact, great power, great care, and great grace, and how hypocrisy can affect each area if left unchecked. So first one, the first one, hypocrisy can destroy our witness. So how do you stop great power on display from having impact and influence in the church and in the world. You discredit the lives of the people in that church. You discredit their testimony. You discredit their stories, their witness, their character. I mean, this strategy has been around for a long time. (laughs) Politicians use this all the time when they're campaigning, right? But Paul warns, he warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, 3 verse 5, that hypocrites, about hypocrites like this within the church, he says, having the form of godliness, but denying what? It's power, have nothing to do with them. Or in Mark 7, 6, he replied, this is Jesus, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it's written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These verses refer to the kind of people who come to church and sing worship songs and attend all the meetings, but behind closed doors, they're really nasty people. They're cruel to their families. They treat their employees like dirt. They're covering up secret addictions. They aren't actually in recovery. They're just covering it up and pretending like everything's okay when everything in their life is just wrong. When hypocrites like this are exposed, especially within the church, people start to wonder if there really is any real change to begin with? Is it all just a facade? Was it all just a facade or a show? And it's easy for people to be skeptical when they look inside the church. Why follow Jesus if there's really no power for real life change? Why? Like, why do it? But the beautiful irony of it all is the character that we forget to talk about in this story, which is Peter himself. 
God uses him. He gives him a word of knowledge to expose the hypocrisy in their hearts. But only a handful of months prior, what was Peter doing? He was denying Jesus Christ three times. That has to be completely just wonderfully hopeful for us, <laughs> is it not? It's so hopeful because Peter here is a prime example of a life transformed by the power of forgiveness, the forgiveness of God. He wasn't a perfect man, he knew that, but he knew he was a forgiven man. He was a forgiven man. And that's why God has given us, his people, the beautiful gift of confession and repentance, because those, my friends, are the anecdotes to hypocrisy. As much as we are thrilled about that, <laughs> those really are the anecdotes to hypocrisy. Let's just first all start by admitting that we all struggle with hypocrisy. We all try to appear mm, just a little bit better than we actually are. We play, we play pretend and we wear masks in different settings. As Christians, we should not approach the world as though we are morally or spiritually superior at all. <laughs> Peter wasn't. We should be the ones who have taken a long look in the mirror and have not turned away from what we have seen in ourselves. We, like Peter, should be the ones who are too aware of our flawed condition and our need for a savior. Amen? God has many times pushed me to confess my sins in front of people <laughs> that I actually really respected. I cared what they thought about me. Uh, thanks to the Lord's grace, I cared about what he thought about me more in those moments. And do you know what happened? They kicked me out of the church. No, <laughs> great power. Great power was unleashed in that area of sin in my life because it brought it out into light. It was almost like I didn't expect it. But here was God's grace being poured out on me. And instead of shame, what I felt beautifully was joy and freedom. And that is what the enemy does not want you to know. That on the other side of confession and repentance is real joy and real freedom, real joy and real freedom. Was it scary? Oh yeah, it was scary. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's scary to come out of hiding, but in the light there really is that freedom that we can have and I can attest to that, that is my testimony. And I want that for all of us because the reality is there is no hiding from God, is there? Now we can turn our backs to him we can be like, yeah, I'm not gonna be about what you were about. Like, I'm just gonna do my own thing. We can turn our back, but he still sees everything we do. There is no amount of darkness that we can hide ourselves in that God does not see through. How would our lives change though if we lived in that realization that God sees us, that God sees us, that there's no website or show that he does not know about that there's no secret thought, no attitude of heart, no word that we speak that God is not aware of. That there's no rationalization, no defense mechanism, no self-justification that God does not know about. 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, famous preacher, he said, God sees it all. He knows your heart. Other people do not. And you, you can deceive them. You can persuade them that you're quite selfless. <laughs> but God knows your heart. God knows your heart. See, what if in the morning when we wake up, we immediately remind ourselves that we are in the presence of God? We're in the presence of God. What if every day we just simply say, God, you see me, you see me. And we walked in that acknowledgement throughout our day. I think it would revolutionize our lives. I really think it, it would drive us straight to the cross in desperation. <laughs> we were like, oh, I need you, God, I can't do this. But I need you to also know that God is not some kind of divine policeman who is just waiting to pounce on you. That's not how, he's not like waiting there going, I'm just waiting for you to mess up, you know? He's actually not the kind of God who is constantly looking for ways to criticize you or accuse you or oppress you. That's the lie of the enemy. The God who sees you is a God who constantly is looking for opportunities to bless you to bless you. God is watching out for you so that he can protect you, provide for you, influence you toward a better, freer, more satisfying life. That's the truth. Amen. That's who he is. He is your good father, your good father in heaven. Now, the second point here is that hypocrisy can destroy our communities. You cannot have great care if you do not have trust, if you don't have vulnerability or a willingness to serve one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was, oh, he just says wonderful books about community. He said this, the church is the church only when it exists for others. This is beautifully depicted at the end of chapter four here that we read when we see Barnabas give. Barnabas was motivated by his love for other believers so that he freely gave what was his to care for the needs of his brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know that Luke is intentionally drawing a sharp contrast between the motives of these characters. Because we see Paul, Peter call it out in verse four, didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold, wasn't it your money, it was at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. See, Peter, he's saying the problem isn't your action. It's not your action. It's the motivation and the reason behind your actions. It was your land to begin with. You could have just kept it. But what you can't do is say, I want to give it all to you and then not, but say you did. <laughs> that's called deceit. And that's not being honest. And that's not being truthful. And when we lie to one another, no matter how small, it starts to break down trust and relationships and communities are built on trust. No one wants to be vulnerable if they're not sure they can trust you or if they don't know you have their best at heart. Remember the, this early church, they were selling and caring and serving each other because their lives had been changed. Their lives have been changed. They used to serve themselves, but now they were serving each other. And they used to only worry about their needs, but now they were worrying about the needs of their entire community. See, if you lack honesty and that kind of unity and that kind of vulnerability, then you can't really serve each other well. Boy, that's convicting. <laughs> 
A lack of transparency kills truth, and that kills community. Dietrich Bonhoeffer also said, he said, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy it, but the person who loves those around them will create community. See, what he's saying here is, if you just like the idea of community, you're gonna kill it. You will be quick to criticize it, you'll idolize it, you'll never be content with it, and you'll expect a heck of a lot from it, and yet you'll do little about it. But if you actually start serving and loving and caring for the people around you, inevitably this is what creates community. That's what creates community. And Ananias and Sapphira, they liked the idea of community. They were a part of it, but at the end of the day, they weren't actually loving their community. They wanted credit for sacrificial generosity without actually being generous. They wanted to look like servants without actually having to serve. And it sounds a lot like uh, Michael, Michael Scott from The Office. Anyone? <clears throat> Love this quote. I just want all the glory, none of the blame. <laughs> yeah, but a real servant says, you know what? I have been given so much, therefore I want to give. I have been forgiven so much, therefore I want to forgive. I'm accepted just as I am, so now I can be authentic and I can be real. As Christians, we need to be asking ourselves what our heart motives are. And Jesus would talk about this all the time in the Gospels. He said, pay attention to what drives you. It's not enough just to have the right behavior if you have the wrong motives for that behavior. Everyone involved in spiritual activity, really all of us face this temptation. And boy, I need to ask myself this every time I come up here to preach. Who am I doing this for? Is it so that people at the end will say, oh no, so good, Heather, you know? <laughs> Who is my real audience? Who's my real audience? Who am I seeking to please? Whose praise do I really want? These are critical questions that point to the real motivations in our hearts, in our hearts. Lastly, hypocrisy can destroy the good news of the gospel. You cannot have great grace if it's all about what's on the outside. If it's all about what's on the outside, it warps the message of the good news, which is that it's a gift that it's not earned through lots and lots of activity for God. See, the reason the gospel spread like wildfire throughout the world was that it was a free gift for everybody. And it wasn't to be earned, but it was given at great cost by a loving father. Ephesians 2, eight through nine famously says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God and not by works, so that, what, no one can boast. What's interesting is that right here, at the end of verse 11, Luke uses a word, and he uses the word church for the very first time in Acts. We're all the way in chapter five, and he's now using the word ekklesia, which is the famous word for church, the Greek word. Up to this point, no name has actually been given to this gathering, this growing gathering. 
And so Luke reserves this very important special word right after this terrible moment. And many say he was doing so to highlight what Ananias and Sapphira did here. It went so much against the very fundamentals of what the church was about that this happened. And it is all about grace. I think we can easily fall into thinking to ourselves and maybe just to ourselves, well, look at all the things I'm doing, right? I'm serving, I'm helping people, I'm praying for people, I'm giving my money, I'm, I'm doing all the stuff. I even came to church on Sunday morning. I mean, you know, you just start like subconsciously ticking all the boxes and you think, well, therefore I am a Christian, right? Like I'm a Christian. But those are just outward externals, right? Those are just outward externals. At best, it's our love for him. Look at all the things I'm doing, God. I must really love you. Look at all the wonderful things I'm doing for you. But that is called salvation by works. And that don't work. It does not work. And that actually is the core of hypocrisy right there. You're actually not a better Christian based on what you do for him. Do you hear me? You're not a better Christian based on what you do for him. We are better Christians when we realize how much he has done for us. When we get our eyes on him and we realize what he, really realize what he has done for us. Instead of focusing on what we are doing for God, we need to look at him and all that he has done for us. Because the more that we look at him, the more we start to look like him. As I seek God, as I focus on God, when I make him my one and only audience, I get more of God. I get more of him in my life. It's when we get into the word of God, when we start to cultivate a private prayer life, that we begin to grow and change. We become more like Jesus and from the inside out, not the outside in, that's religion. I want real life change from the inside out. And that only comes when I sit in the presence of my Lord and Savior. He changes me. I don't do that. He does. A great question to ask ourselves is that question. Are we really changing? Are we becoming and acting and actually looking more and more like Jesus? Are we becoming kinder people? Are we becoming more compassionate, especially to people that are really unlike us? Are we becoming more honest, less anxious, less materialistic? See, it's not enough just to engage in a million spiritual activities. At some point, you and I, we need to ask, are these activities actually changing me? Have our hearts been restructured around the glorious message of grace? See, the apostles did not actually have to tell anyone in the early church to be generous. Generosity pours out of an overflowing heart. And when you put your hope in him, he, you will always, always change. You will always have an overflow. It will be a beautiful transaction that happens when you put your hope in him. When we experience that great grace for ourselves, it starts to spill out into lots of areas in our lives. We're able to extend great grace to lots of other people that way. 
And that's how the church spreads and grows. Well, as the worship team comes back up, I wanna end with a really cool true story. A pastor had arrived in Hawaii for a church conference, full stop. Okay, I want that. <laughs> that, that sounds really nice right there. <laughs> that was gonna happen the next day. But because of jet lag, he found himself that night wide awake at 2 a.m. in the morning. He was also really hungry, so he went down and, and found a little hole-in-the-wall diner, the only place that was open, to get a bite to eat. And while he was there, a couple prostitutes came in, and they sat down right next to him. And, and one of the women turned to her friend and said, hey, did you know? It's my birthday tomorrow. I'm going to be 39 years old. And the other woman kind of looked at her and sarcastically kind of jabbed back and was like, what do you want me to do about it? You want to throw your birthday party or something? And she's like, no, no, like I, I didn't. I didn't ask you to do that. I, I mean, I actually have never even had a birthday party in my whole life, but I don't need one. I mean, it's fine. It's like no big deal and kind of shrugged it off. And shortly after they finished eating, they left and, and the pastor turned to the waiter and he said, um, do these women usually come here, you know, around the same time each night? And, and he said, yeah, actually, around the exact same time every night. And he's like, okay, cool. He's like, we should throw her a birthday party. <laughs> And the waiter was totally game for it. He's like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And so the next morning at 2.30 in the morning, got up and, and they got decorations and the, the waiter's wife even made a birthday cake and, and they found out her name and they made a poster. And, and, and here is this woman who has never been celebrated before in her life. And she walks into that diner full of people singing happy birthday to her. Happy birthday to her. And she was so utterly overwhelmed in that moment, she fell to the floor. <laughs> she was so taken aback. She actually got up and she just grabbed the cake and just ran out. She just didn't know what to do. She, she was just so overwhelmed by what was happening. And so there's this diner full of people. They're kind of like, oh, now what? You know? And so the pastor, he grabs everyone's hands, like, let's, let's gather in a circle. We're going to pray for her. We're just gonna bless her and pray for her. And so everyone kind of, you know, stands in a circle in the diner and, and they hold hands and they pray for her by name and they kind of all shuffle out. And the waiter is obviously pretty agitated. And the pastor's like, hey, what's up? And he's like, dude, you never told me you were a preacher. You never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you go to anyways? I think this was the, the Holy Spirit inspired answer right here. He said, I'm, the, I'm, the kind, I'm from the kind of church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. in the morning. And he goes, nuh-uh, nuh-uh. There's no such church like that. There's no church like, because if there was a church like that, I'd go to that church. I'd go to that church. How many more people would be part of the church at large if we served each other like this, no matter what we've done, no matter our ethnicity, our race, or where we're from, how we identify, or the party that we follow, people who radically love because they themselves have experienced the great acceptance and forgiveness of Jesus in their lives. Amen. I believe that one of the most powerful ways that you and I can make a difference in this world is by living authentic lives full of great power, great care, and great grace. So let's continue to live in the light of God's gaze, 
for his glory and his applause so that we can see this church thrive and grow and impact many people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, bless bless you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. Well, bless you. Have a wonderful week.